It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Ryan Hickey Show, the final show of 2021. What a year, obviously, it has been. And we appreciate wherever you may be listening on Facebook at Worldwide Sports Network, on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio, YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We appreciate you. One of the final days of the year, the final show of 2021 at least, for joining us here on this Thursday morning. We got a absolutely loaded show. I think we do most of the time, but especially today, we are loaded to the gills. The college football playoff is basically finally here. One day away from Alabama, Cincinnati, Georgia, Michigan, we'll to that in a second here. Can either Cincinnati or Michigan pull off an upset? We'll get my thoughts on that. The Lakers last night... Another disaster. There's one feeling. There's one emotion LeBron James right now is going through. He's never felt his entire career. We'll do that in 15 minutes or so from now. Of course, we got Hickey's Pickies. Usually, you know, you save the best for last. And since this is the last show of 2021, you would think, okay, maybe we'll get one of the best guests on. But I'm not going to lie to you. It's the worst guest we've had on. It's absolutely the worst guest. A great guy. A great guy, though, in Mike Zimmerman. He will join us from The Athletic. Does a great job with their college football uh, content. He'll join us in an hour from now. Not only get his picks um, for his pickies, also get his thoughts on the both semifinal games tomorrow. So as, as you could just hear, a loaded, loaded show for you for the next two hours. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Now, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Now, before we get into the college football playoff uh, preview, I do at least want to hit on, obviously, the big news of the weekend and the unfortunate news that is John Madden, unfortunately, uh, John Madden, unfortunately, passing away at the age of 85 on Tuesday evening. Obviously, very, very sad news. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway really quickly here is that he single-handedly is the most influential person in NFL history. You look at what he's been able to accomplish as a coach, with the highest winning percentage uh, for a minimum of 100 games coached. Obviously, he won a Super Bowl with the Raiders, was a legendary broadcaster for over three decades. And oh yeah, by the way, made an extremely popular video game that helped kind of, in a world now, right, where everything's online, where at least my generation being 27, and I, I never really saw him coaching. I kind of, you know, remember him from the broadcast booth, but his last broadcast was 09. At that point, I was 12 or 13. So it's still like, you know, your formational years. Yeah, you hear John Madden in the booth, but really, people my age even a little bit younger now that the NFL is trying to appeal to, well, a lot of their interest in the NFL is not, you know, not just fantasy football, but because of the video game Madden. People play it. They like their teams, like their players. You create your own player. You get into football without watching football on Sundays. You do so all year round, and part of that is with the Madden video game. So that's what I would say by far. Most influential person in NFL history because he has basically touched three different spheres, spheres, should say, of 
the football world that really no one else has ever been able to do. If you're a great coach, rarely you are a tremendous coach and a great broadcaster. If you're a great broadcaster, for the most part, yeah, maybe you're an okay player or so, but usually you never have a legendary coach, a legendary broadcaster, and oh yeah, then have a third prong in which you were able to impact the game in many ways and for you know generations past just your uh, life on this earth with you know this Madden video game is not going anywhere. That is for sure. So it's unfortunate news, but it's also at the same time, it is nice to see the tremendous tribute and the tremendous outreach from everyone telling their favorite John Madden stories. And you hear not only you know what a great coach he was, what a great broadcaster he was, what a great impact and legacy he has on the game, but also what a great person he is. That obviously is even more important than what he's done in the football field is just the kind of person he was, what he was like outside of the broadcast booth and outside of the football field. That's really where majority of your time is spent. Around other people, with your family. Are you a nice guy or are you not? And John Madden, by all accounts, was an extremely, extremely great guy on the field and off the field. So we send our condolences to the Madden family. Obviously a big loss in the football world, but at least we want to start the show they are paying respects to an all-time great, and like I said, I think the most influential person um, single-handedly on the game of football that we have ever, ever seen. So we will move on now to the college football playoff preview. I want to hit on the first game right now, and that is Alabama and Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is keeping it close. The spread right now in this game is 13 and a half. They're trying to tell you Alabama is going to dominate. Cincinnati doesn't belong in this game. I think Cincinnati is going to keep it really close, cover the spread, and make Alabama sweat. Two reasons why I'm a believer in Cincinnati. I, I'll be honest. I can't go as far as say I think they're going to win the game. I think Alabama's going to win. But making this game the fourth quarter, pushing them to the very end, there's two reasons why. Number one, Cincinnati matches up really well with Alabama. Their style of play matches up well with how Alabama plays. And number two, Alabama's inconsistency has me believing that the doors open for the Bearcats to make some noise here on Friday. Let's start with the matchup. Right, because we talked about it, they match up well. What does that mean? Well, Alabama, as we know, is a pass-heavy team. Right, Their strength of the team is passing the ball. Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner. Second in college football with 43 touchdown passes. Jamison Williams, his, his big-time target, his deep-threat target, was one of the best receivers in all of college football. Bledenkoff, finalist, did not win the award as the best receiver in college football, but was a finalist. And you have Alabama sixth in the country in terms of passing offense. So their strength, unlike previous years where we see them run the ball and play great defense, they are their strength is based on Bryce Young, his right arm, and opening the game up in the passing game. Well, on the flip side, what does Cincinnati do well? What they, what they do well is not only play defense, but play really good pass defense. That's the strength of their team. Stopping the pass eliminating what other teams do well, in this case, Alabama passing the ball. They're number two in the country in terms of passing yards allowed per game defensively. They are locked down. They don't allow a lot of yards through the air. They don't allow any team to really torture them in the passing game. You had Ahmad Gardner, who's nicknamed Sauce. Anytime you have a guy named Sauce who's nicknamed Sauce on the field, he's going to be really damn good. AP first team All-American. Sauce. Keep an eye out for him tomorrow. He is going to be locked down on one side. On the other side is Kobe Bryant, second team All-American from the AP. So you have Kobe Bryant on one side. You have Sauce Gardner on the other side. That sounds to me like Cincinnati has the corners locked down. They're going to do a decent job on these Alabama receivers. You got some swag. You got some confidence. They play physical. 
They don't get intimidated. Again, this is a team that's already gone to Notre Dame and won. They have been battle-tested, unlike previous group of five teams. They have, you know, played well on the big stage. And now you look at Alabama, their strength of the offense, their strength of the team being the, you know, the pass game. Well, they're also going into this game, taking on a very strong and potent um, Cincinnati defense, especially in the secondary. And only Alabama's missing, really, their security blanket and John Mechie. Unfortunately, towards ACL in the SEC title game, he will not be playing on Friday in the Cotton Bowl. That's huge because, look, Jameson Williams is the deep threat, right? He is the explosive guy. He's the guy who gets all the headlines and all the big-time yards and touchdowns. But John Mechie is basically Bryce Young's security blanket. He was number one on the team for Alabama in terms of receptions. He had over 90 catches this year. So, yeah, Jameson Williams is a deep ball threat. Jameson Williams is a home run hitter. He's the guy that, you know, we all fall over and again. He was a Bolitnikoff finalist. You need a third down. You need a throw. You got to make in a big-time clutch situation. The guy Bryce Young has turned to in these situations has been John Mechie. He's been the security blanket. He has been the outlet, the, the you know, if you will. And now he's out. That's a huge, huge loss for Alabama. So now you have a, a legit defense led by Luke Fickle. They're physical. Again, they're tough. And especially in the secondary, that's where their strength is. Going against a pass-happy Alabama team. You're now looking at a matchup where Alabama's truly going to have to earn it. This isn't going to be a walkthrough like Alabama walked over Washington a few years ago in 2016 or walked over Notre Dame last year or blew out Michigan State. This is going to be a battle. This is going to be Alabama getting pushed in the semifinal for the first time since the first year they played off in 2014 when they lost to Ohio State. This is going to be a great, great game. And another reason why Cincinnati is keeping it close, why I think they're going to cover easily the 13.5 points, is this. When you have lesser talent, let's call it for what it is, right? Cincinnati just on the field, lesser talent than Alabama. How do you close the gap in a game? How do you make up for the lack of talent everywhere? Well, one of those is turnovers, right? Flipping the game on its head, getting extra opportunities for your own offense, maybe on a short field, and really kind of swinging momentum your way. One of the biggest ways is turnovers. Well, guess what Cincinnati does well? Guess what they are one of the best teams in the country at doing? Forcing turnovers. They have the third most takeaways in all of college football. They play 13 games a year. They have 29 turnovers. Basically over two a game. So if you can get an interception of Bryce Young, you can get a strip sack or, or a fumble recovery, especially in Alabama's end. All of a sudden, that flips the game on its head. You give yourself an extra chance or two on offense, especially with a short field. You now start to get in Alabama's head about ball security and maybe have Bryce Young double clutching or maybe thinking twice about throwing a ball because he's a little gun shy because he just threw a pick last series. That is how the game gets close. That is how Cincinnati, again, keeps their way, uh, keeps themselves in the game and pushes Alabama to the brink. So you look to, you look at Cincinnati, what their strength is, their secondary, forcing turnovers. Those are the two you know, biggest things that Alabama, you would say, does well. I think that matches up well. I think Cincinnati is really going to have themselves a solid day locking down Bryce Young. But you also look, too, Alabama this season. Have they been dominant, consistent Alabama like we're used to seeing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
this team has been a roller coaster all season long. So that's another reason why I'm, you know, believing Cincinnati's keeping this close. Since uh, Alabama by far played the best game of the season against Georgia in the SEC title game, right? Bryce Young had 421 passing yards. He had three touchdowns. Hanging 41 points on a Georgia defense that hasn't allowed more than 17 all season long is very impressive. But are we really going to sit here and pretend the Alabama we saw um, in Georgia in the SEC title game is going to be the team we see on Friday? Because guess what? We have rarely, rarely seen that Alabama team that showed up in the SEC title game at any other point this season. I can't believe, I can't trust that they're going to put two games in a row together of that elite play, because guess what? They haven't done so all season long. Look at the week before the SEC title game. Auburn, with a backup quarterback who was banged up, with a team that had some bad injuries and you know had a down season, Alabama scored just 10 points in regulation. Now, they won the game in four overtimes. You're on the road, it's a rivalry game. But the last game of the season, a game you have to win to keep your hopes alive to make the college football playoff, they scored 10 points in the, in, the, in the game and were shut out for three quarters. But that's not the only time they struggled. Arkansas, the game before that, they won by seven, which their defense really struggled. They scored just 20 points and when they won 20-14 to 14 over LSU, who, by the way, LSU finished last in the SEC West. They had to hold on for dear life to beat Florida 31-29 after getting up early in the first quarter and going to sleep the last three quarters. And we, by the way, they have a loss in the season as 18.5-point favorites to Texas A&M. This Alabama team has been anything but consistent, anything but dominant this year. So, yes, the last game we saw of the Crimson Tide, they blew out Georgia. They absolutely dominated them and took them to the woodshed. But are we really going to sit here and pretend that Alabama team is going to show up again on Friday? Absolutely not. Because I just told you, outside of the Ole Miss game, because that's the only other time this season where Alabama played a great offensive and defensive performance. Georgia and Ole Miss, two out of 13 games. They have played elite football, Alabama brand of football. The other 11 games, they have struggled. They have not played well. They have not played consistent. So I'm going to take that large sample size and say, okay, Alabama at spurts has shown they can turn it on and score on anyone. They've also shown... They could struggle on offense no matter what defense they're playing. And defensively, they, can, they can't even be able to stop a backup quarterback and Zach Calzada of Texas A&M. So I'm telling you, Cincinnati is keeping this close. 13 and a half points. If you're a betting man or woman, take the 13 and a half. Bearcats are keeping this close. The season for Alabama has been up and down. I think Cincinnati makes this a game for four quarters. Alabama, I think, will win. But it's going to be an absolute dogfight to the very end. Any other game, I think Georgia's beating Michigan. I think Georgia's beating Michigan and covering the 7.5 points. I think this is a big bounce-back game for the Bulldogs because here's why. This is the best matchup they could have gotten. Michigan and Georgia play extremely similar styles of football. The big benefit for Georgia, they got better players. They got better players up and down the lineup. So now you're playing a team that plays exactly similar to you. They're going to dominate that that uh, matchup, I think. And you look at Michigan. Their offense is reliant on the run game. Blake Corum, Hassan Haskins, they've been tremendous this season. 
But Cade McNamara is not a quarterback who's going to light it up through the air. They are relying on the run game. Well, guess what Georgia does extremely well? Stop the run. Number three run defense in all the country. They faced Arkansas this year, who is top 10 in rushing offense. Locked them down. They play Kentucky, who is a really good running team. Locked them down. They have shut down any rushing attack they have seen this season. The one team that gave them trouble was who? Alabama. Why? Because they threw the ball in the air. Because they couldn't get home to the quarterback. Because Bryce Young threw for 421 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. That's not Cade McNamara. He's not going to be Bryce Young in this game. He's not going to be airing it out 35 times for 350 yards. Cade McNamara this season, the Michigan quarterback, has just one game of 300 yards passing. And guess what? That came in a loss, ironically, against Michigan State. And he played pretty well in that game. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think he had that kind of performance in him. But this has been a game, this has been a season, I should say, for Michigan, where it is run game, run game, run game. They have not relied on the passing game. They frankly haven't really needed the passing game to bail them out. But I think they're going to need it here, and I don't trust they'll be able to do so. I think uh, Georgia right now, when you're going against a team that has a very similar style, will be able to take advantage, shut down the run game, force Michigan, and make them one-dimensional, which is passing the ball. I think that plays right into Georgia's hands. Like, let's not forget, this is a Georgia team that, yes, we saw just get embarrassed the last time they played against Alabama. But before that, for 12 games, they were the most dominant team in college football by far. Right? It was What were we saying? It's Georgia and everybody else. It's the Bulldogs as clear title favorites, and really no one is even in that elite upper echelon uh, category that they're in right now. Let's not forget, or let's not pretend, one game changes that. Where all of a sudden now this Georgia team is eh, overrated. And eh, they're not really that good. They're still a really talented and really good football team. I think uh, Friday they will show that. The big question for me, the one thing I'm really watching is not can Georgia you know, rebound. I think they will. Is what does Kirby Smart do at quarterback? Sets and Ben is starting. They have said all week, the coaching staff, whether it's, whether it's Kirby, whether it's offense coordinator Todd Munkin, they have said Stetson Bennett is our guy. Look out for JT Daniels, though, the, I guess we'll call him now backup, the former starter, the more dynamic quarterback. Especially if Georgia has a, a hold on this game, if they're controlling the game, I think we'll see JT Daniels in at some capacity. I think you got to, it's wise to get him some reps here, get him loose, and have him ready in case you make it to the cultural playoff national title game and you face Alabama again, and you need to get bailed out because just like the first matchup in the SEC title game, you can't stop Bryce Young. We have seen Stetson Bennett not be able to keep up in a shootout. He's not that kind of quarterback. He's a guy that plays really well where he'll stay on schedule, he won't make mistakes, and the defense, as long as they're dominating, you're going to have a really good chance to win. That's why I think Stetson Bennett's going to be absolutely fine in this game because this style of play plays right into what Georgia does well. But if you make it, and you got to already, if you're Kirby Smart, start looking ahead here. You dominate Michigan. You have to have, you know, in the third and fourth quarter, one eye on Alabama and say, how can we make sure that, you know, we don't have a repeat SEC title game? That's getting JT Daniels some reps, getting him loosened up, and see if he can, you know, provide a spark in case of emergency in the, in the national title game where you get in another hole and you need to get bailed out. So Cincinnati, I think, is covering the 13 and a half, but Alabama's going to win. And I think Georgia plays really well beats Michigan, and beats them by more than 7.5 points. I'm going Alabama, national title game, Georgia, 
national title game, just what we want, another all-SEC championship. I'm curious your thoughts here. What do we got? College football playoffs, semifinals are tomorrow. Alabama-Cincinnati. Can Cincinnati, in your mind, pull off the upset over Alabama and Michigan-Georgia? Can Michigan, can they keep the good times rolling here, take down the dogs, and end what would be the most disappointing season maybe in Georgia history? Or does Georgia bounce back big time here and get a win? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports, right now, because where you can find us. Live stream is right there. Make sure you comment in the, in the, uh, the comment section of the live stream. Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Alabama. Tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show. On Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show or at WWSRN underscore radio. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, the Los Angeles Lakers lost again last night. Basically an evergreen tweet at this point. There's one emotion LeBron James is feeling for the first time in his career. We'll tell you what that is when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 15 minutes from now, peanut butter and jelly to me is the best combo in the world. There's another great combo, Doug Peterson and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll explain why they are would be tremendous together. 15 minutes or so for now. But before that, let's hit on the Lakers. Let's hit on the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James. They lose again last night. And when you look at this Lakers season so far and how LeBron has played and how this season has gone, LeBron James is experiencing something he has never felt before in his entire career. It's helplessness. He has never felt helpless before in his entire career until this season. He's helpless when you look at the talent around him right now and no one being able to pick up the slack. And the Lakers themselves, they're helpless. They're 17 and 19. They're not going anywhere. Their, their team is certainly not winning a title. That's for damn sure. Right now, their ceiling, their best case scenario is winning a playoff series. Think about that. We're talking about LeBron James still playing really damn good basketball with Anthony Davis. I know he's out right now, but Anthony Davis on the team with Russell Westbrook on the team. I don't know about you. I was not a believer in this team going forward uh, in the preseason when they made the rush trade. That was a wrong fit, and so far we're seeing that play out just like, just as a lot of people thought, not just myself, but a lot of people were, were on this train by the Lakers not being very good this year. But we are still talking about a Lakers team led by LeBron James who still, still, in year 19, is somehow playing like he's in his prime, like he's 27 years old, being helpless. Talking about just, you know, a successful season at this point would be winning a playoff series. This has been a season from hell for the Lakers and specifically LeBron James. And guess what? There's really no escape. Last night, I thought it was the perfect encapsulation of this. So they lose to the Grizzlies last night. John Morant goes off 41 points. Such, such a great young player. It's so much fun watching John Morant ball out. But if we look at it from L.A.'s perspective, another game where LeBron plays great gets no help. You had LeBron last night go for 37 points, 13 rebounds, made eight threes, tying a career high. He was unconscious from deep. But guess what? They lose the game in part because he gets zero help elsewhere. No one else is able to step up. You had Russ. I mean, hey, if you're a triple-double counter, 
if you're a triple double um, enthusiast where you forget about the game, forget about the score, all you care about is getting triple doubles or Russell Westbrook, hey, had a great game again. 16 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, another triple double for Russ. But oh yeah, by the way, another loss for the Lakers in which Russ uh which was in which Russ gets a triple double. Not doing a ton that contributes to winning. There's a ton to pad the stat sheet. And I love Russell Westbrook, to be fair. I love his energy. I love his passion. I do think he plays with a style that I respect so much. With that said, that style is not conducive to winning, and we're seeing that play out right now. You got Carmel Anthony coming off the bench, shooting 2 for 11 in this game. Obviously, you know, Anthony Davis is going to be out for a month. But it's another now wasted performance by LeBron, which the Lakers can't figure it out, can't finish a game, can't get a win. Again, LeBron James is in um, year 19. It is his birthday today, actually. Happy birthday, LeBron James. 37 years old. I'm sure he wakes up today miserable after another loss. As Michael Scott would say, sorry your party's so lame. Sorry your birthday's so lame. Parker's you had no help around your teammates. But this is now... Coming off of last night, the sixth consecutive game which LeBron James has scored 30 more points. In that stretch, in these last six games, he's averaging 35 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, and we are doing so in an insanely efficient way. In these six games where he's averaging 35 points, he's shooting 57% from the field. We told you he hit eight three-pointers last night. That's not the only game he's been hot. The last six games, he's shooting 40% from three. So he is unconscious. Again, he is playing right now some of the best basketball he's ever played in his career at age 37. But in those six games, where we just told you LeBron James is shooting, you know, basically can't be stopped, shooting almost 60% from the field, shooting 40% from three, the Lakers in those six games, one in five. One in five. The one win being, by the way, over the lowly Rockets on Tuesday night. That's where this season's at. That's why LeBron James is so helpless this year. Because he is playing some of his best basketball of the season. Now, he obviously, he's been hurt. He's been in the protocols. He has had, he's missed, you know, time for different reasons. But when he's been on the court this year, he has been absolutely tremendous. And the Lakers are still 17 and 19. One in five in the last six games when he's playing some of the best basketball he's ever played as a Laker. He's helpless. He's never felt this feeling before. When he's been on, when he's been playing great, that's led to wins, whether it's in Cleveland, whether it's in Miami, whether it's back in Cleveland, whether it's in L.A. the first two years. His teams have gone how LeBron has gone. And this year is quite the opposite. And a large reason for it, not because injuries, not even because specifically Russell Westbrook, it's defense. It's absolutely defense. You, you see the names on the roster. You see LeBron James. You see Anthony Davis when he's healthy, which is a rarity. You see Russell Westbrook. You think, okay, this team is going to be led by their offense. This team is going to be an offensive juggernaut, and they're going to outscore everyone. Maybe not, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016 Warriors-esque, but they're going to be scoring a lot of points. But the true identity of the Lakers in this LeBron James era is defense. Right, the, the 2020 season when they won the title. They won the title because they played great defense the entire season, especially in the playoffs. They were third in the NBA in defensive rating in 2020, the year they won in the bubble, the only championship that LeBron has won in L.A. 
They had tremendous defenders. I know Avery Bradley opted out of the bubble, but when he was in there uh, on the team for LA in the regular season, he was a tremendous defender. He had Alex Crusoe, a tremendous defender. Catavius Caldwell-Pope, a great wing defender. You had guys that could play good defense. And guess what? When you bring in a Russell Westbrook, when you make that trade, when you make some of the signings like Carmelo Anthony that the Lakers did, you have to sacrifice players. And those players, Alex Crusoe, obviously goes to um, goes to Chicago. Avery Bradley is back, but eh, not the same Avery Bradley we saw a few years ago. Contavious Carlo Pope goes in the Russell Westbrook trade. Now he's uh, he's elsewhere. So a lot of the good defenders LA had when they won the title two years ago are now gone. And now when you look at Russell Westbrook, not a very good defender. Anthony Davis, solid defender, but again, not healthy, not out there. This is, you know, they threw defense. They basically sold their soul to the devil, the Lakers did, with the offseason moves that they made by saying, screw defense, we're not playing it. We're just going to, you know, hope we outscore everyone with AD, LeBron, and Russ. That three-headed monster really is going to just be unstoppable enough to where even if we don't defend well, we'll still be winning games. And that is absolutely not the case. Not the case. 27th the Lakers are in the NBA in points per game allowed. Their identity is not offense, it's defense. And they said, screw defense. Screw it. We're not playing it, and that's why the Lakers are 17 and 19. That's why the Lakers, for the first time you know, in LeBron James's time, and that's why really for the first time in LeBron James's career, he feels helpless. This defense is not turning around. This defense is not getting any stops. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA in terms of allowing points off turnovers. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA in terms of uh, trying to stop teams scoring in the paint. Can't do so. A large part because... Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan are, are kind of manning the center position for the most part when Anthony Davis is out. Russell Wilson can't guard anyone. Carmelo Anthony's not playing any defense. Yeah, no wing defenders. And this team is so, one, hurt, but also bad at defense. They had to start LeBron James at center on Tuesday. At center! He's the guy who basically plays the point on offense. Now you're starting him at center. He took the opening tip against the Rockets. That's how bad defensively this team has been. Where they say, we can't play DeAndre Jordan. We can't play Dwight Howard. We got really no one else. Ah, screw it. We'll put LeBron there. 6'9". Hopefully, he'll, he'll play well. And he played really well, to his credit. But that's where the Lakers are at. That's how bad defensively this team has been. And that's why there's no escape. Right? We mentioned they're 17 and 19. They're currently right now in 8th place in the West. When you look at the construction of this team, obviously AD will come back, you think, in a month or so. But as we know with his injury history, even when he does come back, he can't be relied upon to be healthy for the duration of the season. When you look at the rest of the roster, there's no help on the way. There's no big trade that could be. Like, if you want to trade, you know, make a big trade, who's it going to be? It's probably going to be Russell Westbrook. But what are you getting back for Russ? Who is giving up anything of value, any talent for Russell Westbrook right now? No offense to him, but his age? His style of play is not conducive to winning. No one's given up a good young player or a really, you know, solid group of veteran players that could contribute to a championship team for Russell Westbrook. So you're not getting a, you know, there's no trade out there that LA can make that can shake it up and all of a sudden give themselves a chance to win a title with LeBron playing some of the best basketball in year 19. That goes back to the helpless feeling LeBron is feeling right now for the first time in his career. There's no help on the way. There's no big magical wand you can wave and say, here's the trade that's going to get the Lakers back to finals contention this season. 
they're stuck. They're absolutely stuck. This is who they are. And it's why for the first time, LeBron, despite playing tremendous basketball, is feeling helpless. Is feeling like he can't, you know, get this team out of the malaise they're in. They didn't prioritize defense. It's come back to bite them. They lost their identity. They got to find it. And it's not going to be this season. You hope next year, I would say, you know, Rob Palenka as a GM, but we all know who the true GM is. LeBron James has got to go back to the true identity of the Lakers. You got to use this season as a wake-up call to realize, okay, look, we put this roster together really poorly. We got to go back to defense, prioritizing defense. Get some, you know, three-point shooters on on the side too, but we need defenders because if we can't defend, we don't have a chance. This is the perfect example why. Now, we're not even halfway through the season. The season's over for the Lakers. Think about that. Halfway over. It's, it's already over. And LeBron James is healthy and playing great. We've never said that before in his career until this year. And last night, the latest example of the helpless feeling LeBron James has had. What a disaster. What an absolute disaster. My goodness. Speaking of disaster... That could, that's, that's a word, that's an adjective that could be easily described for the Urban Meyer tenure in Jacksonville. There is hope, though. The Jacksonville Jaguars officially today will start their new, um, or start their search for the new head coach. It will start with an interview uh, with Doug Peterson. For me, Doug Peterson and the Jaguars are the absolute perfect match together. I'll explain why that is when we return. You'll listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 20 minutes from now. Mike Zimmerman, good friend of mine, will join us for Hickey's Pickies, the final edition of Hickey's Pickies for 2021. We saved the worst guest for last. I'm just kidding. I love Mike. But we'll have a, we'll have a good time 20 minutes or so for now. But before that, the Jacksonville Jaguars are starting their head coaching search today. The Urban Meyer tenure, as we know, not even one and done, 13 and done. 13 games for good old Urban. And now they're looking to find their new head coach. There's a few combos out there that I think everyone loves that go together just perfectly. Peanut butter and jelly. For me, I have it twice a day, every day. That goes to show I think it's the best combo out there. There's nothing that goes together, two things that are opposite, that go together better than peanut butter and jelly. To keep the peanut butter going, I mean, peanut butter and chocolate, who doesn't love a good Reese's, right? PB and chocolate, tremendous combo. They go together perfectly. They complement each other tremendously. I think another perfect combo here is Doug Peterson and the Jaguars. I think those two entities, I guess we'll call them here, I guess, or, or one person and you know, one coach and one team, I think there's a coach and a team that fit better together that are looking for a new head coach than Doug Peterson and the Jaguars. Here's why. From Doug Peterson's perspective, right, I think he's going to be a popular man. He's going to be a guy that's going to be getting a lot of interviews. So when you look at the potential openings, when you look at the possibilities that Doug Peterson could go, the Jaguars obviously is interviewing with them today. But I expect the Giants to be open. Obviously, the Raiders after the John Gruden um, scenario or fiasco 
they're open. I think the Vikings are going to be open. The Bears are going to be open. I would say the Seahawks are going to be open. There's a question mark there. Broncos, Texans, there's just possibilities. Not every job is going to be guaranteed to be open, but those are the ones you got to be looking out for that could have an opening. Giants, Raiders, Vikings, Bears, Seahawks, Broncos, Texans. Obviously, Jacksonville being included in that, I think if you're Doug Peterson, the most attractive job of the ones I just listed are the Jaguars. Think about it. You get now to work with the number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence, a guy who was compared to the greatest quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was a great quarterback for the Colts. Cam is prospect a no-brainer. That is what Trevor Lawrence is being compared to. You look at what um, Doug Peterson was able to do with Carson Wentz, and he built him up to be an MVP. He's worked with a young quarterback before, so it's not so he has experience in working with young talent. He has experience in building them up to get the most out of them. And when you look too, all right, Trevor Lawrence rookie year not great, right? Pretty bad. But with that said, I'm kind of almost like just just using this year as a wash, flushing it out, really not think about anything because you look at the you know look at Urban Meyer, guy was you know bringing drama to the organization. Every single day he was there. The offense is extremely poor. The offensive line is horrendous. You don't really have a true offensive mind that can get the most out of Trevor Lawrence in the building. So honestly, I know Trevor Lawrence is really not throwing many touchdown passes. He look, he's looked lost at times, taking a lot of sacks, throwing a lot of bad picks. I am kind of throwing this entire year up, flushing it, and really not thinking twice. Trevor Lawrence is still going to be, in my mind, a really damn good quarterback in the NFL. So if you're Doug Peterson, you get your hands on a guy who, again, is supposed to be the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. You've already had experience in your career working with young rookie quarterbacks and getting the most out of them. You look in the AFC. Right? The AFC is the young quarterback conference. We have Josh Allen. You have Patrick Mahomes. You have Joe Burrow on the rise. You have Justin Herbert coming up. You have Lamar Jackson. And you're Doug Peterson. I think you can feel confident in saying, my guy, Trevor Lawrence is going to be in that category. In a year, two years, three years, he's going to be one of those quarterbacks that can win me any game just like Joe Burrow, just like Patrick Holmes, like Lamar, like Josh Allen. You can feel confident that you have a guy that can be in that category, go toe-to-toe with these other great young quarterbacks you're going to be facing for the next decade and feel good that, you know what, we got a chance. Anytime we step on the field, we got a shot. So that's really enticing that no other team gives you. The Giants' quarterback situation is a mess. I'm not a big Derek Carr guy in terms of bringing you to the promised land. Kirk Cousins is what he is. I love Justin Fields, but there's a lot to work with there. Broncos need to find a quarterback. Texans need to find a quarterback. The Seahawks are without a quarterback. I think Russell Wilson is going to get traded. So you look at the other options here. This is the best and gives you the, you know, the spot with the most potential um, to hit at the quarterback with the highest ceiling. You look too. All right, you have a lot of roster flexibility. The Jaguars are really bad, as we know, but you have a lot of avenues to get talent on this team quick. They're most likely going to have the number one overall pick in the draft. Whether you trade back and get more picks, whether you take Aiden Hutchinson, whether you take Kayvon Thibodeau, whatever you want to do, you're going to have a great chance to add an extremely talented player right away off the bat. The Jaguars are projected to have five picks in the top 100, so you're going to have a lot of, again, talented players coming on in. And they're projected to have the third most cap space of any team in 2022. So you can sign players. You can bring in maybe some vets or you know second contract kind of guys to get talent around Trevor Lawrence because he really has had none 
so far in his career. The best player he's had is James Robinson. And for whatever reason, Urban Meyer didn't want to play James Robinson. So there's going to be talent surrounding Trevor Lawrence, and Doug Peterson is going to help bring that in through the draft and through free agency. So you got a really young quarterback that I think is going to be, you know, going to his his talent is endless. I think he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the game. You have a roster that is malleable where you can get through, you know, bring young guys in through the draft. You can bring free agents in and veterans in uh, through free agency. And also, by the way, look where Doug Peterson was his last um, stop, Philly. That was an insanely um, pressurized situation. He was in a pressure cooker. Those fans want to win. Now, to Doug's credit, he won in year two. But he was fired after year five. You, If you're Doug Peterson now, you go from an insanely intense situation in Philly to Jacksonville, where he'll be hailed as a savior. Coming off the Urban Meyer disaster, you bring in Doug Peterson, who brings competence, who brings a Super Bowl championship with him, he's going to be hailed as a savior. There's going to be Jaguars fans and their streets bowing down like he's Jesus Christ. They're going to be throwing palms on the, on the ground as he's walking into the stadium. He would be revered by Jaguars fans, who, by the way, there's a lot less pressure, there's a lot more patience in Jacksonville than Philly. So if you're Doug Peterson, your just quality of life, your ability to figure it out is exponentially more because you're in a situation where you don't feel like you have to make the playoffs right away. We don't feel like you have to turn Trevor Lawrence around into an MVP candidate in a year. You have more patience in Jacksonville than any of those other landing spots that are going to be open. The Giants, the Raiders, Vikings, Bears, Seahawks, Broncos, Texans. You're going to have more patience in Jacksonville than any other team. You're going to have a better quarterback than any other team I just listed that's open. And you have ways to improve the roster. If you're Doug Peterson and you're looking at jobs and you want to get back into head coaching, I think the Jaguars are the perfect fit for him. And if you're the Jaguars, I think there's no better option as a head coach than Doug Peterson. He checks every single box I think Jacksonville is looking for. I think after getting burned by Urban Meyer, after getting embarrassed by a guy with no NFL experience, I think it's safe to say Jacksonville is looking for a guy with NFL experience. Well, check that box. Obviously, Doug Peterson has that. Head coach in Philly for five years. Before that, he was the offense coordinator in Kansas City for three years. He has been an NFL coach in some capacity since 2009. So he's been in the NFL as some kind of coach since 2009. There is a ton of NFL experience there. And obviously, he was a player, you know, backup quarterback back in his day. So he has, you know, he's been around the NFL game. He knows what it takes to win in this league. And he knows how to treat players and treat the NFL game. Urban Meyer, obviously, his only experience was in college football. Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio State. He was college through and through. So he came to the NFL, right, green, brand new. That's the complete opposite with Doug Peterson. So now you go from inexperience in Urban Meyer to a ton of experience in Doug Peterson. I think that experience also is important, not just because now you don't want to embarrass yourself two years in a row. You don't want another Urban Meyer situation happen. But also, too, when you have a young roster that Jacksonville has, when you have a lot of key players that are young, you got to kind of teach them how to win. They don't know any better, right? There's not a lot of veterans on this team. You got to teach them what it takes to win in the NFL. Urban Meyer obviously did not know how to do that. 
He's never been in the NFL. He doesn't know how to win in the NFL. And he thought, for whatever reason, I guess it's going to be a lot easier than it actually ended up being. Well, Doug Peterson knows what it takes to win. That guy is a clue. He's won a freaking Super Bowl. He knows what it takes to win at the highest level. I think he will coach his guys up, coach a lot of those young players up to get them to do the right habits, to get them in the right mindset, and to get them and teach them how to play consistently good football on a week-by-week basis. I think having that head coaching experience before is huge. Because look at the other candidates out there, right? Byron Leftwich, the former Jaguars quarterback, now current Buccaneers offensive coordinator. Brian Dayball, the Bills offensive coordinator. Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. I think it's smart for the Jaguars to go offense with, with Trevor Lawrence. And those are obviously some of the hot coordinator names that either have been requested to be interviewed or I think will be requested to be interviewed by the Jaguars. The thing that all three of those guys have in common, though, Leftwich, Dayball, Bienemy, zero head coaching experience. I think all are really solid options. But where Jacksonville is right now, the mess that Urban Meyer left this organization in, in the less than year he was there, I do think it really behooves Jacksonville to bring in someone with NFL experience as a head coach who knows what it takes to win and has already kind of knows the expectations of being a head coach, knows kind of not learning, or you're not having a guy learning on the job. Even though Leftwich, Dayball, Bienemy, I've been in the NFL for a while. They would still transition. They would still have a learning curve in the NFL where Doug Peterson would not have that. Another feather in Doug's cap, another reason why I think if you're the Jaguars, he's the perfect option is he's had a lot of success as a head coach. His record in Philly, 42 37 and 1. Obviously, he won a Super Bowl. And in the five years he's in Philly, he made the playoffs three times. And you look even with the Eagles, the state of Philadelphia, um, before Doug Peterson got there. In the five years between Andy Reid and Chip Kelly that Peterson got there, Eagles win the playoffs one time. So he it's not like he inherited an Eagles team that was littered with talent, you know, ready to uh, win a Super Bowl, and basically kind of Doug just took over the reins and kind of stood back and let the team go. No. He had to take over a team that was perennially losing. He had a rookie quarterback in Carson Wentz to work with, and he faced adversity in losing an MVP quarterback late in the year and still won a Super Bowl. So look where the Jaguars are now, where they've made the playoffs one time in five years, where they are, you know, they need a lot of work. Doug Peterson has showed, like he did in Philly, he can rebuild a team and rebuild them relatively quickly to become playoff contenders. So I think, for me, Doug Peterson has everything the Jaguars are looking for. And if you're Doug Peterson, I think the Jaguars have everything you are looking for. And it's a perfect match. Peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and chocolate, Doug Peterson and the Jaguars. I think it's an absolutely perfect match. Peterson is interviewing today for the Jags head coaching job. I think that is absolutely the guy Jacksonville should high. Love to hear your thoughts. If you agree or not, Facebook Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Is Doug Peterson the perfect fit for the Jaguars? We'll get your thoughts. And when we return, Hickey's Pickies time with the hardest guest I've ever had to book for the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Mike Zimmerman, Hickey's Pickies, next right here on the Ryan Hickey Show. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Now, usually I will say, since it's the last show of 2021, happy early New Year, by the way, to everyone uh, listening here. We always appreciate you finishing off 2021 on a high note. My join us on the Ryan Hickey Show. Usually you want to save the best for last. That's always kind of the goal. That's always kind of how... Uh, People want to, you know, the saying is what? You want to finish strong, right? The, the old sports cliche, it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. Well, I'll say this. We are finishing on the worst note possible. This has been the hardest guest I've ever had to book on the show, but he has finally appeared. It is Mike Zimmerman, incredibly talented and smart sometimes, um, college football podcaster, content, uh, content creator for The Athletic. Zim, man. We appreciate you finally, finally carving out uh, for a few minutes here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Thanks for coming on, man. Did you ever think that maybe I was delaying this and I wanted to be the last guest of the year? Maybe that was part of my plan the whole time? You know what? No, I have not. Um, and I, I like the thought because, like I said, we're trying to end here on the worst note possible. This is hopefully going to be the worst show of the year. That is the goal here. We're trying to really come in. We want to start 2022 on a strong note. How do you do that? By coming off a really bad note in 2021. So that's why I'm glad that you had the foresight back in September to think, you know what? I'm going to save it for the end of the year. I want to make sure that I'm Ryan's last guest of 2021 and really finish out the bank. So you know what? Thank you for that. My goal is to set the bar really low for 2022 just to make you look better. I hate to say this is why we're friends. You know, you always have my back. I try to have your back here. Um, so I, we appreciate that kind of foresight and, and that friendship that that you really do give us so mike uh well the good news is before we get to the picks we disagree on almost anything and almost everything especially college football you are a so-called expert you get paid to work in the college football field hopefully the athletics not watching here because uh some of your football takes oof, i don't know but you would say the same about me so we got two playoff games tomorrow michael alabama cincinnati georgia and michigan let's start with bama cincinnati in your mind spreads 13 out big one here can we get a close game Bama, you know, can Cincinnati give Bama a scare here? Or are you rolling with the tide? So I, I think I would say majority of America wants it to be a close game. Um, a, a for just you know for the neutral, you you, you want to have a good game to watch. Right. B I think that a lot of people want to see Cincinnati competitive to give the group of five more. More respect in the future. Yeah, respect. Right. More of a case with the, with the committee. Because if they keep it close, then maybe in the future the committee will be more likely to maybe put one in if it's if it's up against a, maybe like a one-loss, you know, Power 5 team. Unfortunately, I don't see it being close. Um, I, I think from start to finish, Alabama's been the best team all season, despite what happened in the SEC championship game. I think Georgia offensively was really struggling. Um, towards the end of the season, and I think Alabama, you know, even even in the loss to Texas A&M, I, I mean, they still put up 40-plus points. Um, I, I, ju I just think too much Bryce Young, too many offensive weapons. I think you give Nick Saban a month to prepare. I think you're just asking for trouble. And, and I love the job Luke Fickle has done, and, and it's not taking away anything. But I think right now he's just reached the ceiling at Cincinnati. And, hey, the number four seed in the college football playoff at Cincinnati is probably the best they will ever do. And Bearcats fans will remember this season forever. I just think that's the ceiling. And I, I don't even think a competitive one versus four matchup is even plausible for them. 
even not even plausible. So this is why I told you we disagree on almost everything. This is on brand here. I will say this. I think there's two things going in Cincinnati's favor. Love to hear your thoughts on this. Number one, strength of Alabama is obviously their passing offense, right? Bryce Young has been lighting it up. Jameson Williams is one of the best receivers in the country. But the strength of Cincinnati is their defense, especially their secondary. You got Kobe Bryant. You got Sauce Gardner. I mean, by the way, I mean, tremendous nickname. It's hard to uh, say that someone whose nickname is Sauce is not very good. He is tremendous. So you have at least Cincinnati with a great secondary going against Alabama's, you know, their strength in passing the ball. By the way, Alabama, without their, you know, security blanket and John Metchie's out for the game. So I think strength on strength is, I think the Cincinnati actually matches up well. But also the other thing here, for me at least, that I'm believing in Cincinnati, not to win the game, but I think definitely keep it close for, for four quarters, is you talked about Alabama this season, right? And obviously we know the last time we saw them, they blew the doors off of Georgia. They by far played the best game of the season. That's not who Alabama's been, though. Like, all season long, there's really been, out of the 13 games they've played, two games where they have played dominant, full, offensively, defensively, um, perfect games. Georgia, all Miss. Everything else has been kind of up and down. You mentioned the A&M game. They lost as 18-half-point favorites to a backup quarterback in Zach Calzada. They, you know, had their hands full with last place in the SEC West LSU. They barely beat Arkansas. They had to hold on for DLF against Florida. Like, this has been a team where... Yes, recency bias, right? The last time we saw Alabama, they by far played the best game of the season. But it's also not like Alabama has been consistently great all year. The week before against Auburn, they scored 10 points in regulation. They were shut out for three quarters. I do think that inconsistency is something to where I am not sitting here guaranteeing Alabama is going to come out with their hair on fire and play a dominant game. Now, is that, in your mind, am I... Not giving, I guess, Alabama enough credit or respect here. Like, are you worried at all, at least, by the inconsistency Alabama's shown all season long? Is that going to come back to bite them in a game like this, or you think that they'll carry over SEC title game into the college World playoff semifinal? No, I, I think those are valid points. I, I, I don't think you're pulling those out of thin air, which a lot of your takes you do. <laughs> yes, here we go. Here um, we go. I, ha- I had to give you a jab there. I just think when it comes down to it in the playoffs and talent-wise, I think that – 99 times out of 100 comes out on top um, when they're uneven teams when it comes to talent. It's just that Cincinnati has reached its ceiling. All right. Outside of the Notre Dame win, the competition really hasn't been, you know, I I, I think all those reasons you were saying Alabama was up and down was because of the quality of their schedule. And I hate to be the SEC bias guy. and Here we go. SEC versus everything. Mr. SEC over here. But if you give Cincinnati that schedule, do they come out undefeated? I, I think it's clearly no. I mean, um, actually, why not? Like, who – okay, let's – like, let's – if we just take away the conference name, let's be, like, truly serious okay. here. Who has Alabama played this season that's actually good outside of Georgia and SEC title game? If we're talking about regular season, your team, Ole your Miss favorite team, Miami. Top 15 teams. Ole Miss is – I think Ole Miss is the best team they've played. I'm not a believer in a and I'll be honest here. I'm just not. They're I don't think they're a very good team. better than any team on, on Cincinnati's schedule. I, w- I would say Notre Dame's better than a and Okay, but that's fair. I mean, we're not going to okay. sit here and argue AAC, the AAC schedule is stronger, but I'm just – like, if we're talking about legitimately who has Alabama, Alabama played that's good, they're really – like, again, outside of Ole Miss, LSU had a down year. Arkansas had a nice year, but Arkansas, from where I, they started to where they are. The quality of those teams – Kentucky? Than, than well, they didn't even play AAC. Kentucky. Tennessee? 
I would say Tennessee is still better than but most like, of the AAC no, teams. Maybe again, I'm or I'm not trying to tell you that the AAC is stronger, but you're saying is Cincinnati if they played Alabama's schedule, they getting through? Well, because Alabama didn't even get undefeated, but they getting through at twelve and zero or twelve and one, are they gonna have a similar record to Alabama? I would say why not? Like yeah, Alabama's never really played anyone that's good. The SEC. If we just get out of the SEC's most dominant conference, you look at the true teams Alabama's played, there's not a team on their schedule where I say, oh, no, Cincinnati can't beat them. I think it's okay to say Cincinnati has reached their ceiling in the conference they're at. I think that's okay. That's not dissing or, or, or saying that they don't, you know, they're not a good football program. They are. It's just, it's just who they are. I don't think they stand a chance against Alabama, and, and that's okay. Because nobody's really expecting them to. Once they get into the Big 12, see how they build off a Power 5 budget and a, a you know, Power 5 schedule and able access to, to better recruits. I think maybe we can have that conversation to see how they progress. But right now, I just don't think I, I, I don't think the 13 and a half is, is, is plausible. All right. Well, I guess we'll, we don't officially go through pick, but we'll get it here in a second. Georgia-Michigan. I think this is a, a matchup that favors Georgia actually really heavily. Similar styles. I think Georgia just has the better players overall. I know Michigan's been the hot team. And obviously Georgia coming off, you know, a humbling, humbling loss to Alabama. You feeling the dogs here? You feeling confident? Or you, you believe in a Michigan keep the chain rolling? So I, I think most of the time the 2-3 matchup is, is usually the better, the better matchup, more attractive one. Yes, sir. That's the case with this one. I do think they're very similar in terms of play stout defense. Right. Run game. Ball over on offense, yep. Where I would give Michigan the edge here, I won't tip my hand for picks yet, but I think the thing that Michigan has going for them, I think they'll be able to match up better against Georgia's defense than Georgia's offense will against Michigan's defense. Because I, I, and that's, that's not a diss on Georgia's defense. I think Georgia's defense is the best unit in college football. I think that's saying more about how poor Georgia's offense is. They struggled to move the ball the past month and a half. And I think if it comes down to a one-possession game or, you know, time of possession, I think Michigan stands a very good chance in winning that battle, which would give them a chance to win the game. Michigan has flown under the radar a lot because they haven't been sexy, right? They've just been winning games, not flashy, good defense. Aiden Hutchinson, probably the best player in college football. That's who my Heisman vote would have. Would have Same. Voted. Look at that. Great minds think alike, Sam. We can agree on something. Okay. You know what? Maybe I'll change that. Oh, but, perfect. You know what? Get the wrong answer again. Perfect. But but I think that I think that Michigan does a lot of things well, and I wouldn't say one thing great. But I think that bodes well for a team against Georgia whose offense is just below average. So I think that's where they can keep the game close if it's time of possession Maybe just just grind the game out. Don't turn the ball over. Convert first downs. You don't have to score thirty points against Georgia's defense because I don't I don't think they're going to. But if you can grind out twenty points, I don't think Georgia's scoring twenty against Michigan. Int- wow, there's a take for you. Let me ask you this. Well, well, uh, one last question for you. All right, Kirby Smart's kind of a decision maker. I'm with you when it comes to the Georgia offense. I'm not a Stetson believer. Uh, Stetson Bennett believer. I do think JT Daniels is a quarterback they need if they're going to beat Michigan and try to, you know, have a rematch against Alabama and beat them. I, I think, you know, just we right. saw it. High, higher ceiling can move the ball down the field. Absolutely. That's the only way Georgia's going to move the ball because Michigan knows that. They're going to put eight in the box, stop the run, right. force Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels, whoever's under center, to throw the ball down the field. 
And who gives you the better chance of doing that? And it's clearly JT Daniels. I do think that with Kirby Smart, he prefers Bennett because doesn't turn the ball over as much as, as JT Daniels. But in a college football playoff game, you got to take your chances. You're not necessarily going to win playing conservatively. We're both in agreement there, which is a rarity, which also should show you know, kind of the state of the, the Georgia quarterback situation right now. How do you handle it? Right, because it's Setsabet's going to start. Kirby Smart said it. Todd Munkin basically was, you know, ready to fight anyone that said, you know, Setsabet yeah. can't win a title. Which I don't, I don't blame them for coming out publicly no. backing their guy. Right. What, what other, what other choice do they have? They're not right. Throw him under the bus. They have to back him. And also, JT Daniels has a lot of Mister Random with his health. Obviously, we that's the reason why he lost his job with the yeah. oblique injury, the lat injury. Apparently had COVID last week and was late to join. Like, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the health of JT Daniels. So we honestly. Sitting here, can't even fully say that he is even healthy enough to play because there's a cloud of mystery surrounding his status. Assuming he's healthy to play and he can play, how do you, if you're Curry Smart, go about it? Stetson Bennett's going to start. Do you sprinkle him in? You know how Michigan kind of brings in J.J. McCarthy at times and for a player or two kind of just brings him in as a, a wildcat quarterback. I think there's going to be a time in the second half, maybe even early in the first half, where you give J.T. Daniels a drive. you got to kind of get his feet wet here. It's a dangerous game to play. I get it. Because you're kind of already looking ahead, but I think if you're Curry Smart, you got to give JT some some rope here to get a driver to in a cultural playoff game, get his feet wet in preparation for if you have another Alabama situation where you're down early, you need a spark. You're not bringing someone in who is ice cold off the bench. At least he's played some snaps uh, in a previous week. What would you do? I would agree. I would agree with that. But playing devil's advocate. Say bring in JT Daniels for a drive in the second quarter. Right? Yep, he doesn't perform well. What is it? How do you feel if you're Stetson Bennett? Does that affect you moving forward in the game? Knowing that, wow, I haven't played well enough. They're trying to see what else they have. It's fair. No, it's I, it's I, a I, dangerous I, game to play. It's not. I'm not saying it's easy. It's. And, I think you're. It's that's fair why criticism. Smart's not going to do that. I think he's just going to live and die with Stetson Bennett. Although I, I I think it should be JT Daniels from from the start. But. That's why we're not getting paid millions of dollars. That is very true, and unfortunately, that kind of same Unless logic. You are. I don't know. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Uh, no, maybe, maybe next year. Maybe after Kirby Smart listens to this, and he'll bring us on his staff. But okay. no, that is not why the millions of dollars. But as we do know, by the way, that conservative nature from Kirby is also why Justin Fields left to go to Ohio State, and why they made the cultural yeah. playoff twice, and George didn't. So, yeah. you know, we'll see if a lesson was learned there. All right, Zim. This is why we pay the big bucks, to come and give your knowledge of picks. Forget college football talk. Forget the fact that you get paid to talk college football. We bring you on the show here to get your picks. No one has gone 5-0 and so far this season. It's the final edition of the 2021 year. Do you think you can kind of go out with a bang and give us a 5-0 and week? No, I don't. <laughs> like we said, folks, we saved the best for last. So let's get right into the college football playoff talk here. We kind of talked about it before, but let's get your official picks on the record. Bama Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. Bama 13 and a half point favorite. I think I know where you're going, but let's get it on the record here. Bama covering or Cincy going to keep it close? Uh, Bama's covering. Give me give me the minus 13 and a half. I think it's going to be a 20 point game at least. Ooh, oh, man. Thanks for coming, Bearcat. Just to talk about Bearcat beatdown. I'm going to go in Cincinnati. I think they're going to cover it kind of for two reasons. Like I said, I think they match up well. But also, I will say, the inconsistency of Bama scares me. I don't think we'll see the same Bama on Friday like we saw in the SEC title game. I will say, one X factor, 
Cincinnati, great at turning the ball over. Third in college football in terms of turnovers forced. That's how you get games close. That's how you flip games on their head. If they can get a turnover or two, Sauce Gardner maybe getting a pick. All of a sudden, look at it. You get yourself a you short field. You want to say that name again. Of course. Who doesn't? Who absolutely doesn't? Yeah. That, I think, keeps the game close. I will say Alabama wins outright, but I do think Cincinnati covers, makes this a game. And I don't think it should factor into future decision-making because every team and every season is different. I do think, though, this kind of game does make people second-guess going forward about, oh, does the group of five truly deserve to be in? And whether it's cultural playoff expansion, automatic bids, whether it's just, again, if we stay for a 14 playoff for the next few years. With automatic bids. <laughs> another situation, another area where we disagree, shocker. But I do think respect will be given to the group of five and, and others after this big-time performance by Cincinnati. So you're saying blowout. I'm saying nail-biter. You'll take Bama. I'll take Cincy. Georgia and Michigan. I think Georgia's going to cover the seven and a half here. I do think they will handle Michigan and win. You got a close game here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be within seven and a half. I'm still going back and forth on who wins Ooh. outright. Wow. So I, you're even you know, that. Now, right now, I, I think it's going to be closer than seven and a half. I, I can't tell you who's going to win because I'm still going back and forth on that. But I do think spread is going to be much less than seven and a half. Seven o'clock Friday tomorrow, right before kickoff. You're going to flip a coin? To see who wins, you're gonna no, just I, pick I, out of a I hat. I'll, I'll I'll have my pick by then. You have a decision. Okay, so no no hat no hat picks no coin flip. Okay, all right. No. Close game though is what Mike Zimmerman is guaranteeing. Okay, so actually it's of course like I said in the open we disagree on almost everything. I think Cincinnati Alabama is gonna be close. You say blood. I think Georgia's gonna dominate Michigan. You say very close game. Maybe even Michigan wins. That is. Very on brand so far. How about the NFL? Three big games in the National Football League. Chiefs at the Bengals, two of the hottest teams in the AFC. Chiefs on the road, five-point favorites. What do we got here, Zim? Chiefs minus five. I think they're rolling now. I, I, I think they finally figured out what, would, you know, whether it was protecting Mahomes, whether, you know, whatever the issues early in the season and, and middle of the season, I think they finally figured it out. I, I think Bengals are... Definitely one of the three best teams in the AFC. I just think the Chiefs are so hot right now that it's going to be hard to, to, to stop them. I, I like the Chiefs minus five. Give it, I think they'll win by a touchdown. Three picks, three disagreements. I will take the Bengals plus five at home. The reason why I'm taking the, the Bengals is I like their offense a lot. I was right. Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. They're a lot of fun. Joe Mixon. My question is more about the Chiefs' defense. Like, they have been absolutely great. Like, they have been part of the reason why the Chiefs have turned around from 3-4 and four to now 11-4. and four. But it's like they you look at the teams they have played. I, they play the Cowboys, and the Cowboys, and eh, they don't play well. You play the Packers, but with Jordan Love. The Raiders' offense doesn't really scare. Like, they haven't played a lot of prolific offenses. This is the best offense they're going to play since... Really, if Josh Allen and if the Bills. If it's a shootout, who do you give the edge to? Which offense? I would still give it to the Chiefs, by far. But with five, the Bengals getting five points at home, I think if it's a shootout, you still keep it close. I will trust Joe Burrow and co. to just put up enough points to keep this game close. I think the Chiefs win the game. I'm with you there. But I'll take the Bengals with getting five points at home. I just don't – I still can't trust the Chiefs' defense going against a prolific offense to make enough stops where they're going to win by basically a touchdown or so in this game. So that's why I'll take the Bengals uh, plus five. You go Chiefs minus five. Rams – at the Ravens. Now, we have no idea if Lamar Jackson is going to play. I don't know if you saw yesterday the video of Lamar Jackson on social media. He's back at practice for the first time since he's injuring his ankle, limping around. I don't know what kind of grass they were they were practicing on. It's like a, 
the grass is all dead. So maybe that's why Lamar Jackson and every other Raven tore their ACL this year because they're playing on horrible grass. But anyway, that, that aside, Lamar Jackson's limping. Tyler Huntley is back off the COVID list today. We have no clue who's going to play quarterback for the Ravens on Sunday. The Rams come in on the road, West Coast, East Coast, three-and-a-half-point favorites against Baltimore. Where are you leaning here, Z? Rams minus three-and-a-half, and I think it just comes down to just the uncertainty. Um on the Ravens side, we saw Lamar Jackson's not healthy. Tyler Huntley off the COVID list. Who knows how that affects him? Even if Huntley was healthy, he's shown flashes. Yes, I, I just don't think you know. At, at times, the the glass slipper either falls off or, or breaks. I just think the Rams roll in this one. I would agree. I'm re- first agreeing. Rams minus three and a half. So that means you are screwed on that. That is that's a guaranteed loss. Now let me ask you this: Does this change your thinking at all? Tyler Huntley starts. You have the Rose Bowl on Saturday, Utah, Ohio State. A lot of Ohio State's great players are opting out. Utah's been one of the hottest teams in college football. If Utah wins the Rose Bowl, Tyler Huntley, former Utah quarterback, do you think that gives him a little extra juice for Sunday where maybe all of a sudden he can, you know, turn back the clock and have another great performance like he did against the Packers? Is, is Saturday's Rose Bowl going to impact Sunday's game? No. No. Okay. No. Just, trying to, just, just throwing it out there, playing a little devil's advocate, trying to get, you know, your thought process, I would agree. I would absolutely agree. I think that's why I'm going to go with the Rams minus three and a half. Final game this slate here, Zim. Cardinals, a team that is struggling. Cliff Kingsbury, woof. Yep. Three losses in a row, including to the depleted Colts last week. Thank you very much, Cliff. They're going on the road, taking on the Cowboys. Cardinals are getting five and a half points. Where are you going here? Cowboys minus five and a half. I just think Cardinals are free-falling right now. And, and I think they're just going to ride that slide down. I think Cowboys, not a very great, I don't think Cowboys are a great team. I just think they're kind of, you know, staying status quo. And status quo against the, you know, declining Cardinals, I, th- I think that's good enough to win five and a half. I would agree. Like, and I actually would agree with a lot of what you said, which is scary. But mm-hmm. the Cowboys, right, I, they beat the Washington football team. They beat the brakes off I get it. That is not changing my perception of the Cowboys. I still don't really, like, Against the Packers, against the Rams, against the 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 Bucks, I'm still not feeling like I'm not picking the Cowboys to beat any of those teams in the playoffs. I'm still not sold on the Cowboys as legitimate Super Bowl contenders. The Cardinals right now, like, what is Cliff? You're a Wedding Crashers fan, right? Yes. So you know what Maryland does, right? Crab cakes and football. What does Cliff yeah. Kingsbury do? Good looking guy. Second half collapses. We saw at Texas Tech almost every single year. He has brought that over to the NFL level with the Cardinals. This guy, I don't know what if he just doesn't adjust. If he keeps everything the same, if he just stops coaching half the year, I don't know. He's a great mansion. He's living in Arizona. Maybe he's, you know, I don't know what the hell he's doing. Just living life and not caring. The second half of the year, his teams have played brutal. We are seeing it again. It's not an accident. It's absolutely not an accident. Right now, the Cardinals have lost three in a row. Two of the three losses, by the way, are to COVID-depleted teams in the Rams and the Colts. Like, what are we? And the Lions, by the way, is the other one in the middle, blowing out. Like, what are we doing here? I'm with you. The Cardinals are struggling on the road. I don't think that they... Keep this game close. Cowboys minus five and a half at home. I am with you there. So we have two agreements. Cowboys minus five and a half at home against the Cardinals. Rams minus three and a half at the Ravens. We have three disagreements. You're taking the Chiefs minus five. I'll take the Bengals. You're taking Michigan plus seven and a half. I'll take Georgia. You're taking Alabama minus 13 and a half. I will take Cincinnati. All right, Z-Man. This is where the magic is made. This is where the, the proverbial money, if you will, is truly made. The upset special. Where are we getting two bonus points? Forget 5-0. Oh. I should have even said that. 
How are we going to get you to 7-0 this year with a flat-out underdog win and two bonus points? So I'm actually going with a game that is coming on in about an hour or so. Oh, so college football ball action. Let's go. Give me South Carolina plus 11 and a half against North Carolina. Ooh. I think Shane Beamer's got things rolling down in Columbia. I think North Carolina has struggled a lot under Mac Brown this year. I think they will be better in the future. That you know, Mac Brown doing a good job recruiting. But I think in terms of this bowl game, I think the Gamecocks are 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 relatively hot. I think they're playing good football. I think they're catching North Carolina at probably their lowest of the season. Give me eleven and a half for the Gamecocks. Eleven and a half in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Now let me ask you this: You're a big college football fan. You love bowls. I love bowls. If you were a college football coach, are you losing the Duke's Mayo Bowl on purpose to avoid a Mayo Gatorade bath? That's probably the best question you've asked all day. What can I say? That's why I get paid the big buck. No. I'll no. take it. I'm a team guy. Give me the Mayo. I would avoid it. I'll be honest. Now, did you see the quotes from Shane Beamer and uh, uh, Mac Brown? Yes. I don't think either of those two coaches are going to be uh, avoiding or, or coaching to lose, I should say. I think Mac Brown said what? He'll take a frying pan to the face if it's a win? Would you take a frying pan to the face or a mayo Gatorade bath? Oh, give me the mayo. Really? Oh, I'll take a frying pan to the face. 10 out of 10. If winning the game meant my one of my players gets to stand there and swing a a, a, a frying pan in my face, I would but take that every time. You and the mayo is gone. Uh, it's not that easy. Face, you got to live with for the next week or so. But the mayo, okay, you, let's go through the logistics here. You get the mayo dumped on you. Well, you're not going right to the locker room. The mayo is dumped on you. probably got to yes, do a post-game interview for another five minutes. Then you got to get the trophy ceremony. You probably get more mayo in, in a jar, and maybe they bring out an entire tub of just mayo jars, and now you got to live with, and you got the disgusting mayo on you. You're probably smelling. It's all in your hair. It's all in your clothes. You're standing there. Maybe it's cold. I don't know. And it's just like you are just miserable for another at least 20 minutes, your, your, your guys are fired up. They're celebrating. And then, by the way, you got to go to the locker room. you got to give a post-game speech to all your players. Probably got to go to the post-game press conference, talk about the big win. If you're Dana Holgerson, who knows? Maybe, you know, if you're Brian Harson, I should say. And if you're the loser of that game, you give a 30-minute press conference. And all of a sudden, now you're waiting even longer than you have to get to the press conference. And you have to answer all the questions about the big win. You are in Mayo for at least an hour. You think about this way too often and way too That's often. why I would take a frying pan to the face. Well... I'm not going to go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl for my upset pick. I'm going to actually go to the NFL. I'm going to take a team that has been relatively, I guess we'll call them hot, the Lions. How about the Lions? They beat the Cardinals two weeks ago. They keep it close against the Falcons last week. They are getting seven points on the road at the Seahawks. Maybe Russell Wilson's final game. Either way, the Seahawks right now are a mess. You just lose to, at home, Nick Foles and the Bears. But I say the Lions are better than the Bears or Nick Foles. I maybe would go there. So would I. So Matt, Matt Nagy just oh, what he's doing. Dan Campbell has got the boys playing well. They're hungry for some kneecaps. They're playing hard. You give me a touchdown on the road against just a, a checked out Seahawks team. That's where they are right now. That is, I will take the Lions plus seven, and that's good for you as a Jets fan. Just get that pick higher and higher. Crank it up. Get those exactly. losses in there. I, I think I think for that game as a Jets fan, you got the Lions winning, which moves them back in the draft, mm -hmm. and that would move the Seahawks pick up. So I think all Jets fans need to be rooting for Detroit. Wow, that's a true win-win there for your squad, the JTS Jets, Jets, Jets. The Red Hot Jets coming off a, a big-time win over the Jaguars where you were not the most incompetent team for a week. See Trevor Lawrence spiking in on third and goal? That, 
has to have you feel a little good, doesn't it? Let's just see how you know, next <laughs> week goes. I just want to see progress. That's all. That's it. Z-Man wants to see progress. Well, we are at least progressing this show. The show has gotten a lot better the last half hour with you on it. So we appreciate you coming on the show, giving us your insight on college football. Probably wrong picks, but we appreciate you jumping on here and finishing out 2021 style. Thanks so much, Ryan. Really appreciate you having me. Ryan. Oh, wow. Very formal here. Thank you for that. What else am I supposed to call you? I don't know. Hey, that works. I mean, whatever you want to say, Zinman. But we'll go. Ryan is very proper, very formal. That is the tremendously talented, wrong, opinionated Mike Zimmerman. We're just kidding. We, we do love Zim. He is the man. We appreciate him hopping on. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Could Aaron Rodgers retire? We'll discuss that when we do return here. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Black Jesus. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. A very happy early New Year's to you. We appreciate you on the final show of 2021, making us a part of your Thursday morning. Hopefully, whether you're working, whether you're on vacay, the week has been great. And you're kind of rolling into 2022 in style. As a reminder, the 10 o'clock hour on the Ryan Hickey Show is always brought to you by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. Someone who's having maybe... A very interesting end of their 2021 heading into 2022 is Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Right now, his future is I'm going to steal a line Aaron Rodgers said last year. Aaron Rodgers' future going forward is a beautiful mystery. He said that after the NFC title game, lost to the uh, Bucks last year, that opened up Pandora's box of, well, he's going to return. Is he going to force a trade? Is he going to be back next year? Oh, my God, what's going to happen? And that set off, as we know, an off-season worth of panic. For me, I've said this since he, well, since he decided to come back this year uh, after I thought he was going to be traded last year, but I do think this is Aaron Rodgers' uh, Aaron Rodgers' last year in Green Bay. I think he will be traded after this year. But it's interesting because the, the discussion and the debate was always, well, is he going to be a Packer or is he going to be somewhere else next year? There was never really a third option until yesterday where Aaron Rodgers was asked, is there a possibility that he could retire at the end of the season? Here's what Aaron Rodgers said at his press conference yesterday about the possibility of retiring. I wouldn't rule that out. Um, you know, I think that I'm just enjoying this season for this season. And I think that uh, playing next year is will definitely be in the thought process. Um, one of the things that, that obviously, and you and I have talked about this over the years, wanting to uh, – to not be a bum, per se, on the way out and, and to still be able to play, I think is important to me. Uh, if this year has taught me anything, it's that, um, you know, I still can play. I still have a love for the game. I'm still super competitive and and still enjoy the the, uh, the process of the week. I miss practice, and it's tough to not be out there week after week now. But um, I still do love competing, and I love being out there. Um, it just, you know, there'll be a lot of, a lot of uh, things that all fell away in the offseason. All right, so there's Aaron Rodgers talking about saying, yeah, it's a possibility. 
We all think about it a lot in the offseason. He mentioned that the decision he's going to make is going to be quick. Um, come offseason time, one way or another, either he's going to obviously return, he's going to be at the Packers, he's going to be elsewhere, he's going to retire. He said that decision is going to be made relatively quickly. I don't believe there's a chance Aaron Rodgers is retiring after this year. I think he's going to be, he will still be playing by the time COVID is finally out of here, right? You listen to scientists, to doctors, maybe we'll return back to normal, I don't know, 2022, 2023, 2024, somewhere around the next, hopefully two or three years, this pandemic will obviously be over. Pray to God it's over by 2024. My goodness, we're still sitting here two years from now, kind of in the same world we're in. We're all going to need help. Aaron Rodgers' future is the, is the last of our, is the least of our worries, that's for sure. But I think by the time COVID is out of here, by the time we are finally, truly, 100% back to normal, Aaron Rodgers is still going to be playing quarterback, which means at least another few years. Here's why, a few reasons why. Number one, one of the reasons he listed for retiring early and thinking about retiring after this season is because he said what? He doesn't want to be a bum. He doesn't want to be holding, a by, holding on by a thread. He doesn't want to be limping to the finish. I love Peyton Manning. He's my all-time favorite athlete of all time. Big-time Colts fan. He's a big reason why. Um, with that said, Peyton Manning's final year. Now, they won the Super Bowl with the Broncos, but Peyton Manning wasn't exactly the number one or number two or three or five or even, frankly, tenth reason why they won the Super Bowl. He was hanging on by a thread. It was... Uh, I hate to say it, hard to watch at the end, right? He just did not play well at all. The arm w- was dead, wasn't really playing well. That defense was all world. So Aaron Rodgers basically is saying, I don't want to be Peyton Manning 2.0. I don't want to be just out there where it's tough to watch. Or even maybe a better example is even Big Ben. Not that he's playing horribly this year, but he is, you know, he's up there. It's It's been a tough year for the Steelers. Eli Manning, same thing. He was benched his final year for Daniel Jones. It was tough to watch. He doesn't want to be one of those quarterbacks that are an all-time great that have a tough finish, and that's kind of one of the final things we remember. Okay, I respect that. I totally understand that. I like where he's coming from. I think Drew Brees retired right at the right time, and I think that it does mean something to kind of, not retire on top per se, but retire before the lasting image is kind of getting clowned and make it fun of, you know, the final year or two because he's playing so bad. With that said, though, I mean, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to worry about that anytime soon. Right there, there's nothing he has to worry about in terms of falling off a cliff next year or even the year after. He won the MVP last year. He's frankly right now the favorite and probably going to win the MVP again this year. Is he all of a sudden going to be one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL next year? I don't know about you, but I, I would find that extremely hard to believe. And that's the only thing that could have that happen is, frankly, injuries, right? His play is still extremely high. His arm is still alive. His accuracy is still, you know, as great as it has ever been. He's still making every throw in the book. He's great. And this is with the toe that's given him a lot of issues. He's still not as mobile, and he's still making all these great throws and still leading the Packers to a, an 11-3 record or 12-3 record so far, or 11-4, whatever it is, excuse me, uh, through the first 15 games of the season. He has been tremendous. So, you, you don't, you know, he doesn't want to be a bum. He's afraid about kind of falling off the cliff at the end. You don't have to worry about that because for him, his play is still an extremely high level. Where he'll be fine for the next two or three years. At bare minimum. Okay, so that flushed that out. He's not going to retire at the end of the year because his play has fallen off a cliff. He even talked about, you know, in that clip too, he hates missing practice. His competitiveness is still there. He hasn't practiced really at all this year, in part because of the toe injury that he suffered where the broker toe, he's basically been, you know, barely able to walk and barely able to play pain-free during the game. 
Obviously, he missed time because of COVID and missed 10 days. So he has been off of the practice field, away from his teammates, at home, or even away from the facility for a large part of this year. And he's mentioned he hates that. He still has that burning passion to be at practice. He still wants to grind. That is important. That is really important. When you solve the love of the game, when you still love the game enough to you want to you know, practice, where you look forward to the hardest part of playing football, that's still really important. Right? Playing the game is the easy part. Every NFL player will tell you that. Playing the game is the reward. The practice, the offseason workouts, the training camp, that part's a grind. The meetings are a grind. And Aaron Rodgers has said, I still look forward to going to practice. I hate missing practice. The competitiveness there is still important that you know he has that fire. I don't think he could just retire at the end of, at the, uh, end of the year and be okay with it, be at peace with it. I think he would truly still have that urge, that itch to compete and to win. So his play is not dropping off anytime soon. That's not going to be a reason why he retires. His competitive fire is still there. That's not going to be a reason why he retires. And let's call for what it is. Aaron Rodgers, to me, like perceptually, is a vengeful person. He is someone that loves to avenge someone who does wrong. He is someone that loves to really make someone pay for a mistake. I think when you look at how this Packers season is going, how 2022 is going to be, no matter how this season ends, it's going to basically be an automatic, vengeful season for Aaron Rodgers. Here's why. few possibilities for how this season ends, right? Let's say it goes great. The Packers win the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers gets ring number two. Uh, just for the reason I listed below, I don't think he's going to run off in this, uh, right off in the sunset. I don't think he's going to win the Super Bowl and say, you know what, guys? That's enough. I'm out of here. He still could play at a high level. He still has the, the fire to win. I don't think winning a Super Bowl is going to change that. So he's not going to ride off in the sunset um, winning Super Bowl number two, which means one of two things. Either the Packers are going to say, you know, Aaron, we were wrong. You were right. We screwed up the Jordan Love pick. We're going to trade him away. We're going to give you a big-time extension. We're going to have you, unlike Brett Favre, finish your career with the Packers and make sure you only put on a Green Bay uniform in your career. You're not going to go elsewhere. We want to make sure we do right by you and not have a Brett Favre 2.0 situation happen. So either he wins, the Packers trade Jordan Love, and he stays in Green Bay in part because he wants to be proven right. Hey, look, I won. I was right. The front office kowtowed to me. They got rid of a pick where they gave up assets to trade up for Jordan Love, and they got rid of him because I wanted him gone. I think that pride, that feeling of success of I won would lead Tim to returning for the Packers in 2022. So there's one scenario. The other scenario is the Packers win the Super Bowl and Brian Gutekunst, the GM, Mark Murphy, the, the uh, president, say, okay, Aaron, thanks, but, you know, see you later. It's a Jordan Love era time. We got what we needed. Now we're going to usher in the future for the next 15 years. So hopefully we go from Favre to Rodgers to Love. That is our goal. And guess what? If you're Aaron Rodgers, you just won a Super Bowl, and now you're getting replaced still. You don't think that's going to get him angry, piss him off a little bit, have him play with some spite for whatever team he gets traded to? I think it would. I think he would have a massive chip on his shoulder because he would think in his mind, even winning a Super Bowl is not enough to keep me in Green Bay. These guys are making a big mistake, and I think he would try to win more Super Bowls elsewhere. So if the best-case scenario happens for the Packers, they win the Super Bowl, I don't think he's riding off in the sunset, which means he either returns and he, he plays longer because he wins the 
Jordan Love, not even Jordan Love, but the Aaron Rodgers versus Brian Gutekunst fight, he would win that with them trading, you know, admitting they're wrong and trading Jordan Love. And I think he would stick around and play longer. Or they win the Super Bowl, but they still want to give, you know, Jordan Love the, the starting opportunity. And they move on from Aaron Rodgers. I think he's going to be very upset by that, play with some revenge in his mind with whatever team he goes to. That's if they win. If they lose in the playoffs, again, I don't think he's retiring. So they lose in the playoffs. It's the same scenario. Either you're keeping Aaron Rodgers. He's going to come back after another postseason loss, the third in a row, maybe in the NFC title game. And now if they trade Jordan Love again, you win if you're Aaron Rodgers. So now you have the satisfaction that you beat Brian Gutekunst. You basically made him bow down to you and say, I was wrong. We're trading Jordan Love. You're our guy. And they keep Aaron Rodgers for the future. Also, by the way, is that chip on his shoulder for trying to win a second Super Bowl and coming up short. So you have that motivation coming into 2022. Or again, they lose in the playoffs. We heard him last year be upset about the Jordan Love pick and kind of the, some of the front office moves. He alluded to his, his future being a mystery. He really kind of got people stirring about his future. And if that's still not enough, they lose again in the playoffs and they and the Packers say, it's Jordan Love time. Rodgers, thanks. We're going to you know, we're going to try to make this amiable. We're going to try to, uh, or amicable, I should say. We're going to try to trade just to the team you like, but we're going to go with Jordan Love. So if you have uh, Aaron Rodgers coming off another playoff loss where he loses in the Super Bowl, loses in the playoffs, doesn't get back to the Super Bowl. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you basically have your your wife, which is what it's been, you know, with the Packers and a work relationship, saying, oh yeah, by the way, you want a divorce. We're breaking up. You don't think Aaron Rodgers is just going to be like, you know what? I'm going to retire. I'm going to just call it a day. No. He's going to be a, you know, a rebound divorcee. He's going to go whatever team wants him. He's going to be, I think, more motivated than ever. He's going to be in the best shape of his life. He's going to be playing the best football of his career. Just like a recent divorcee, you hit the gym, you look better, self-care. All of a sudden, you're out with more confidence. Now you're trying to, you know, try to, just trying to spite your ex-wife. In this case, the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers would have the biggest chip on his shoulder of his career and desperately try to win one, maybe multiple Super Bowls with a brand new team to show the Packers, you screwed up. You screwed up big time. So every scenario with how this season ends for the Packers, good or bad, I think will lead to some semblance of revenge or satisfaction for Aaron Rodgers or he would want to return in 2022. I don't think he is retiring. There's no shot in my mind he's retiring after this year. He'll be back in 2022. He'll be back in 2023 playing for either the Packers or somewhere else. I still think he'll be somewhere else. But maybe, just maybe, the Packers will admit we were wrong, Aaron. You were right. Jordan Love's out of here. We're going to keep you around. But either way, whether it's with the Packers or another team, he will be back in 2022 and beyond. One final reason why I believe that. Aaron Rodgers is kind of someone who loves the attention. He is someone who seeks the attention. He can play it off. He could say, oh, you know, the media loves blowing this up. But let's call a spade a spade. Aaron Rodgers last year voiced his frustration with the Packers, coming off a loss in the NFC title game, opened up the door, posed the questions that uh, his future could be down in Green Bay because he was the one who said, my future is a beautiful mystery. I don't know, you know if I'm going to be here next year or not. He reportedly told teammates and friends, I don't think I'm going to be in the Packers next year. In season. So this guy's complaining about all, you know, all the attention that was on him. And now all the media is making all this hubbub of a story that's not there. Trying to get clicks off his name. He was the one who first hinted at possibly wanting to leave the the Packers. He was the one who told friends and teammates, yeah, I'm not going to be here next year. He was the one all offseason long 
from January when the game ended through July when training camp started, he was the one from January to July that could have at any point, any point in that time frame, in those seven months, could have said, yeah, I'm a sick in, in Green Bay. Yeah, you know, I thought about I'm going to be the Packers quarterback. He could have put to bed all of the questions, all of the talk, all the speculation, all of the worry if you're a Packers fan. He could have put it all to bed by simply saying, I'm staying with the Packers. Instead, in those seven months, he let it drag on. He, in some cases, added fuel to the fire. And he just kind of sat there and enjoyed his name being brought up every single day in some capacity about his future. He made multiple media appearances on SportsCenter. Uh, you know, at the Kentucky Derby, he was doing interviews. He's at golf, you know, celebrity golf tournaments. He had at any point could have said, yeah, my future's in Green Bay. I'm going to stay for 2021. He never did that. Till the, literally the day before training camp started, that's when he said, guys, I'm coming back. Pull to Michael Jordan, I'm back. He is someone who loves the attention. And guess what? Guess what happens if he retires? The attention goes away. Sure, it's still Aaron Rodgers. Sure, he's still an all-time great. Sure, we're still going to talk about it and whether he is, makes appearances, whether he does you know, TV after, whether he is just a Packers legend, like whatever he wants to do, host Jeopardy. If he becomes the full-time host of Jeopardy after, obviously, their previous search you know, has to re, you know, happen again after what we know happened. Whatever he decides to do, Aaron Rodgers as the NFL quarterback, that, that level of attention does not exist anymore. Whether he wants to call games, whether it's be the host of Jeopardy, just live being Aaron Rodgers, his name will not be in the news anywhere near as frequently as he is right now in his playing days. And I think he realizes that. So if you still you know, want to be on the Pat McAfee show and have people care what you say and have people you know, always wonder and talk about your every move, playing quarterback in the NFL is still the best way to do that. That's just calling it how it is. Peyton Manning is still a legend, right? Peyton Manning still is in the news all the time. He does the Manning cast. He, you know, is working with the Broncos. He's still very involved in the NFL. But are we talking about Peyton Manning every day? Are we talking about Peyton Manning once a week? We're not. When he was playing, Peyton Manning this and Peyton Manning that. When he retires, you go out of the shadow. The everyday grind, if you want to call it, or the news cycle, the everyday news cycle now goes on without Peyton Manning. It's going to go on without Aaron Rodgers. And I think he, in one sense, realized that, and I don't think he's ready to give up the attention because, again, he just spent an entire offseason where everyone was questioning and fawning over his future. Guess what? That's going to happen again, by the way. That's going to happen again. This offseason is going to be loaded with Aaron Rodgers questions, with Russell Wilson questions, with Deshaun Watson questions. That's why I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to retire at the end of the season. He'll be back. I'll be absolutely floored, absolutely floored, if he hangs it up and decides to retire. So that will do it for the final 2021 edition of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Really do appreciate everyone who tuned in, not just today, but this entire year. This has been a blast doing the show from you know January through now. A lot of fun. Couldn't do it without you guys, obviously, um, tuning in, being a part of the show, liking the show. We, we do appreciate, obviously, your feedback and your participation in the Ryan Aiken Show, but not just on this show, but on the Worldwide Sports Network, right? 
We have tremendous talent. We have tremendous shows all through our network. So make sure you're liking us on Facebook at Worldwide Sports Network. Following us on Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio. You want to throw a Ryan Hickey show on Twitter or follow as well? You're more than welcome to. YouTube Worldwide Sports Network. Downloading our app, WWSRN uh, for iPhone, Worldwide Sports Network for Android. All different platforms that you can find us here on the Worldwide Sports Network. So we appreciate your support across all platforms, all channels, all different times, uh, tuning into our various shows that we got here for you. Very excited for 2022. The best, hopefully, is still to come. Not hopefully. The best is definitely still yet to come. We're growing. You're growing. You made it through a challenging 2021 and very excited to usher in 2022 where... I mean, look, I'm not going to wood. I'm not going to wood. So I'm not jinxing here. I am uh, very superstitious, I'll admit. But coming off of 2020, heading into 2021, 2022 is not going to be any worse. 2020 was bad, right? 2021 was better. Hopefully, 2022 is even better. We are heading in the right direction um, and, and slowly, slowly getting back to true normalcy. So that is what the hope is. That is what we're going for. And then I think is what will happen. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying we appreciate your support the entire season. It's been a, been a blast and looking forward to 2022. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. We will be back on Monday, right? January 3rd, get the, the new year started off with a big Week 17 reaction. So enjoy. Listen, it's going to be a loaded next few days. A lot of good bowl games. A lot of good cultural playoffs, semifinal games. NFL Week 17, second to last week of the NFL. We are going to have a great, great holiday weekend. So have a, a tremendous New Year's. Enjoy it. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you on Monday right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.